We now know the answer as to why she doesn't like that song. I think she said in the first episode, I don't like the Beatles. It seems it's unfair to tarnish their whole back catalogue. Yeah, on one <laughs> song. She just needs to let it be. This is what I've missed. It's clearly a boomer orange. <laughs> <laughs> or she's thrown it up a hill and it's just rolled back down. Hairdresser Susan. It doesn't have the same ring as Postman Pat, but we'll go with it. Snipper Susan, maybe? I, I think we're going to go with Snippy Sue. Really just going to, like, you know, raise the foreboding flag. She goes see a guy about a fish. Vince the bear deals with large animals on a daily basis. When's the last time you've seen a tiger walk into a vet and say, my paw hurts? All I wanted was Ange to lean across the dambas and go, put the Ninor on. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA True Detective Night Country, episode three. My name is Adam Hemming, and we've only got time for one bedtime story. Thankfully, it's all about Night Country. Joining me to tell that story are TV DNA's Mac and Cheese, Neil Shepek. I don't fuck where I eat. And our Puddles the Unicorn. It's the return of Grace Chapman. God, how many hours have you been staring at this shit? <laughs> Welcome back, Grace. Lovely to have you back on the pod. So nice to be back. I have missed the chat so much. And (laughs) I am loving True Detective so much. I couldn't wait to come and get involved. What are you most enjoying about the show so far? Oh, man. I, I think the the world that the world that it's created and the setting I love. I made a terrible error last night of watching episode three without a hot water bottle, and I don't <laughs> recommend. I was chilled to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> I get cold watching it both physically and sort of spiritually, and I just love how how the creepiness is building up, and I love how they're just on the line of the supernatural. Like it it is believable still and that's not easy to do because they are dealing with like the spirit world and just like Jodie Foster being Mm. Jodie Foster I didn't love episode one but two and three goodness me I'm in yeah how about you Neil what did you think of episode three any initial thoughts yeah initially I thought fantastic developments of story and characters I'm I'm really enjoying it I wasn't sure if I would because sometimes I love Jodie Foster and sometimes I she's a bit Marmite for me, but I am really loving her in this. Yeah, there was definitely some brilliant character development. I think both uh, Liz and Evangeline in this episode. Also some cracking dialogue, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, some of the best bits of dialogue I think we've had so far in the series. Some amazing scenes where... The conversation, you're like, how did we get there? But but I loved it. And I also just, I only realised after I watched that, that I think the reason I was so unsettled by this episode is that it's bookended with a woman screaming. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, we get more of Liz and Ange together in this episode. A little little bit more than we've had in the first two episodes. They're now working this case side by side uh, or back to back as they were when they were going through the evidence. But let's let's go through it all in, in some semblance of order. So we open with this shot of the mine in the background as Ange is driving up to this house door. And then we hear this, this woman screaming. And we soon learn that it's April the 22nd, seven years ago. It's Anne Masu Kotok who answers the door. And I mean, they know how to start an episode, don't they? 
we think about the start of episode two as well, like how impactful that was. Like this had the similar feeling to it. I love that, you know, obviously the assumption is there's a woman being hurt, but I mean, she is being very hurt. I loved the twist that it was a birthing centre. And I loved the woman who was like, just bear with, just got to, just got to birth a child. I'll be right back to get arrested. <laughs> because yeah, Annie obviously was a midwife we knew that from from before there's some really lovely stuff in this I think the baby comes out and, and needs a bit of CPR attention but they, they do manage to resuscitate the newborn she's alive yeah yeah <laughs> and I love the mic drop by Annie when she takes her gloves off and then very calmly hands her wrists to um, Navarro and says, okay, should we go now? Yeah, it was lovely stuff. The the doulas who were there, I think they crop up later on in the episode. Mm. Yeah, good. I'm glad others others agree. We then jump forward to the 22nd of December, which is the fifth day of night. So we're now five days into a 24-hour night. And we see Hank, who's called in his, his hillbilly buddies, to join in the search for Clark. And they're splitting into teams. They're going to search the tundra and the mining dredges. And Evangeline says she wants him alive. And he, Hank, kind of in his usual twatish way, questions that. And yeah, and that's kind of sets up what's what's happening in the scene. We're going to, you know, those those hillbillies are going to come back towards the end. And we quickly move on to all of Clark's evidence or his stuff in a big cupboard, which Dammers isn't really keen to be there i was just gonna say about the hillbillies it was it was less sort of pitchforks at dawn and more sort of shotguns at constant dusk <laughs> yeah and camouflage jackets but the back to the the evidence of clark's evidence i just really love that i spotted what, what was it in there what i just love the bag that just said the word meth on it <laughs> so with the evidence there's also a story about Someone killing a woman and then shooting himself, which is what we're hearing verbally. But what we're seeing visually is that that's not the case. And it suggests to me that it was Danvers who shot him. And that's part of Navarro's issue with Danvers. Well, was it Danvers or was it Navarro? Yeah. Was it someone else? But yeah, definitely the suggestion is she's telling the story. And this is the Wheeler thing. This was one of our six questions from last week where we learned what the Wheeler thing was. This is the reason that they're not speaking with each other. William Wheeler was guilty of sexual assault, armed robbery, assault and battery. He beat an 18-year-old girl. And they're they're sort of trying to... Well, the, the girl denies that it happens, right? He's got the classic stories of she fell down the stairs. And then they get their call and they go over there, but they get there too late. She's already dead. And yeah, she tells Pete that he'd shot himself, but he's clearly alive and also whistling twist and shout. <laughs> right. We now know the answer as to why she doesn't like that song. I think she said in the first episode, I don't like the Beatles. It seems it's unfair to tarnish their whole back catalogue. Yeah, on one <laughs> song. She just needs to let it be. Oh, lovely. This is what I've missed. <laughs> I loved this flashback. Like this is when the creepy chills really started in this episode yeah it was great and just the way I just love that like come and have a bedtime story with Danvers featuring women battery rape (laughs) murder it's just like classic Danvers 
But yeah, I, I loved this flashback. And like you say, Neil, the contradiction between what we saw and what we heard was just like really juicy immediately. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, and that's also a classic, but particularly in thrillers and horror and gothic and all of that, the unreliable narrator. And yeah, it, that was a perfect example of that. My immediate thought was that Navarro did it. And then that's why Danvers demoted her. I don't know. It, it could be either of them. And as Adam pointed out, it could even be a third person. But so either clearly, way, what Nanders is saying is not true. Yes. And they've clearly covered it up probably to everybody else. Like the official report will say murder, suicide, right? Yeah. I really love the fact that Danvers then turns this whole thing around on Pete and the bruise on his cheek. You know, and the story that he's he's fallen over on the ice rink when he's a league hockey champion doesn't quite ring true. But that whole mirroring of that story of the girl not sort of coming forward about the, the abuse that she was receiving and, and him also lying about the injury that he's got. Yeah, it was such a lovely pivot in the scene to talking about the past, to talking about the present. And there was a bit of tenderness from Danvers. Like, you know, she touched his face in a kind of ten, in a tender, caring way. Um, hey, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> she is capable of being, you know, caring. There was a small moment and then it passed. Yeah, I think there's definitely, um, I mean, she says earlier on in this scene, she tells Peter transfer Navarro and he says, well, I thought you hated Navarro. And she says, I hate everyone. I hate you, especially now. <laughs> <laughs> there's another couple of little bits of information we get at the beginning of this scene which I just want to quickly cover so we learn that the forensic technicians booked on an evening charter he later gets delayed and we also learn that Lund who was the scientist that woke up in that second episode is in a coma still his legs have been amputated and he might lose an arm and later on we're very much going to learn what sort of a bad shape he's in yeah oh I can't I, honestly I can't even think about Lund <laughs> So the next note I've got, Navarro throws an orange out into the ice and it gets thrown back at her. Any thoughts as to who? It's clearly a boomer orange. <laughs> <laughs> or she's thrown it up a hill and it's just rolled back down. <laughs> oh, yeah, because then nothing supernatural happens in True Detective Night Country, does it? <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know. It could be. Is it definitely the same orange? I don't know. Well, not question. necessarily the same orange, but could it be Travis? Could it be Travis? No, he's dead. Well, no, I did wonder if it was the spirit world, you know, yeah. whether there was some kind of spirit, I don't know, ring fence <laughs> she hit. <laughs> but um, I did wonder as well. Obviously, they're looking for Clark. So could it be Clark trying to be creepy and playful? Yeah, those are my only two options right now. Or what Adam said. <clears throat> The rolling hill that's, that's <laughs> i don't think you can i don't think you can suggest it's not voodoo et cosmic chumpa lumpa bullshit <laughs> damn you for finding the best place to say that <laughs> well maybe that's a question that we maybe we won't get the answer but maybe it's a question for next week who threw the orange yeah well that's leads us into Angela's liz going through the evidence and this is one of my favorite scenes i think of the episode because they're in this small room they're in close quarters but they're back to back the whole time as they're going through all of these boxes so just physically the way that they were doing the task spoke volumes i thought and then we find out that Ari ariana grande helps liz date their relationship back to the spring of 2016 
Yeah, I really love this moment. It's very characterful of being like, oh, that was the release of Ariana Grande's album. They're like, oh, are you a fan? No, 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 not a fan. No. <laughs> this is what we live for in any detective drama, isn't it? Is the moment where the two main detectives who don't get on are going through the evidence and starting to put the clues together. And it's always just such a great, it's a trope. But it, when it's done well, you just love it. And this was done really well. And I was I was following their thought process. And then we had the date of the the T-shirt she was wearing. Then we had the hair dye. Yeah, and the hair dye, well, for a start, looking at those photos, it's commented that she looks happy and they both look happy. And that's helping them piece together some kind of timeline of that relationship. Then they notice in one of the photos that someone must have been with them because there are other photos that are clearly done on timer, whereas this particular photo they decide couldn't have been and therefore there was someone else with them. Who, I wonder. And then one of the photo prints has got the hair dye on it. And in the middle of all of this evidence unearthing, there's this great exchange where Liz asks Ange, are you still fucking Kavik or are you back with girls? And Ange retorts, are you still fucking but then Pete walks in and she she stops herself but says anything that can't move fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) So good. And I love that she calls uh, Pete Freshman. Navarro's nickname for Pete is Freshman. You know, she's like move move fast Freshman. (laughs) I don't think he'll be able to move fast enough. No. So yeah, the hair dye leads them on to hairdresser Susan. It doesn't have the same ring as Postman Pat, but we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> snipper Susan, maybe? Anyway, she knew Ray, and she was obviously big friends with, what's her name? Annie. She basically reveals that he was fixated on her. But there's an interesting thing about the tattoo. She dreamt it a bunch of times, and then she got the tattoo. So she dreamt the symbol a bunch of times. Yeah. Then she got the tattoo, and the dream stopped. Mm. Do we think this is just what she told Susan? I mean, again, this feels a little bit like woo-woo supernatural stuff. Well, we know the sign is is older than the ice. I feel like that's true. What, like, why would she? Why would she make that up? Yeah. Good question. I think there's some, I mean, I think there's some sort of, you know, links back to the Tuttles, but some sort of cult involvement. And Annie's at some point been involved in that. Yeah. You know, at some point in her history. You're saying cult, but ancient religions aren't necessarily cults. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an argument there, but. <laughs> <laughs> and we learned that actually the the woman's uh, Snippers, Susan, was afraid to come forward about the relationship because there was another guy at Sa- Savile, Savovo, Salal. Are you glad I'm back? Oh. Salal. There was another guy at Salal who she was in a relationship with, but he was bad. Help me out here. He left just before Annie died. Yes. Which is a little bit suspicious, I think. So it's Oliver Tagak is his name. I think we're going to go with Snippy Sue, by the way, for the for the hairdresser. <laughs> and she saw him on the ice. Am I right? She saw... No, oh, he was last heard of, Oliver Tagak. Right. As being somewhere on the ice, probably hunting. Yeah, and they said not looking to be found. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we come across this character a bit later on, but 
they're kind of building the tension at that point. There's also mentioned that Clark, Raymond Clark, who they're all looking for at the moment, was quiet, a little weird, but quiet. Yeah. That tracks. We also get Danvers again showing a little bit of kind of maternal care here to take Snippy Sue's um, child away to go make mac and cheese. But she was like, come on, I'll tell you a lovely story about puddles. And I was like, do not have a story with Danvers. <laughs> yeah, she, she did have one more bedtime story in her. And it was, it was quite a nice one about rainbow tears. <laughs> yeah, and then there was a conversation in the kitchen that was quite strange, wasn't there? And I can't quite remember. Did a woman say something to Danvers? Or someone said something? It's the woman who's having a, her hair done at the time. I can't remember. She says she, they're talking about something. She says, oh, I like, is it the mac and cheese? Does she say, oh, I like mac and cheese or something? She, she just makes an, an inane comment. Yeah, that was really nice. A really nice little kind of moment. It's just, it's so well written. There's so many great moments. And every time you think you know it, it does something a bit different. Like that's a bit quirky and weird. But yeah, oh, just loving it. It's on the way back from that interview that we get Ange and Liz in the car. And again, this reminds me of Woody and and Matthew in the mm-hmm. car, you know, yeah. the conversations they used to have in the car. But yeah, there's the sort of do the fucking math line and they're talking about the mine in the town. Half the people who live there had a reason to silence Annie Kay. Then we get the line about the voodoo ET cosmic chumpa bullshit. <laughs> uh, but my favourite part of this exchange is them talking about Tinder. She gets a notification on her phone and Angie's like, is that your fantasy football? <laughs> <laughs> No, it's Tinder. She's like, well, who are you going to link up with on Tinder? Old Norman Naki or Hank? Hey, look, that is the current lay of the land on Hinge in London. So, you know, don't laugh too much, I've heard. <laughs> well, she says, I don't fuck where I eat. But actually, she's probably been through all the eligible guys in, <laughs> in Ennis already, right? I mean, fair play to her. And, and you know, and Ange retorts, you mean any more. And then we get this lovely stuff about, you know, what do you do? do you you know, she's like, oh, I watch Netflix. Then she gets pushed and she says, well, I pray. She says, you talk to God. And then Anne says, no, I listen. Mm. As the episode goes, we get to, we start hearing more voices, whispers. Anne certainly hears these, or at least we think she hears them. And I really loved that line because it, it, she goes, no, I listen. And that seemed to really unsettle Danvers just for a moment. And I... I kind of watched it twice to be like, what's happened there? What has she found so kind of unsettling for her? I also read that as she doesn't listen to God in in the sense that God was brought up by Danvers. She listens. What she listens to, who she listens to is a completely different thing. But I don't think it's a God of any religion that we're familiar with. Yeah, and it's the idea of like going to God with your problems or being open to hearings but she ends this conversation by by again i thought this was fascinating stuff asking liz whether she ever wants to just disappear and it feels like we've got people in the past who have literally done that like travis walked out into the ice and clark has disappeared but it also feels like a symptom of them being where they are in this constant night drives people to go insane and to walk out into the middle of the cold i feel like that line is what makes liz really uncomfortable it's the same with tickcock he also i mean he's kind of with a team but he's pretty much gone out on his own yeah and obviously who was it neil did you say 
Oliver Tickcock. That is, yeah. I thought you said Oliver Tickcock. Oliver, I think the name is Tickcock. Oh, no, you are. You are. I'm I'm misreading my notes. I have written Tickcock. Oliver Tickcock. Should we call him Oliver? Yeah. (laughs) And then we do get the chat with Angie and her sister, who also says, you know, I just want to go. Like, I, you know, (laughs) real. Really just going to, like, you know, raise the foreboding flag there. Don't know how that will play out, but it definitely feels like someone might walk out intentionally that's not Clark. Well, we very quickly come up to a scene where Navarro talks about her past. She goes to see a guy about a fish, or at least a guy with a fish, and she mentions how her mum and dad weren't really okay. And one day her mum went out and was killed. But yeah, also somebody else who, who just left and then never came back, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was his name Cobbert? Kavik. Just also, I don't know if you noticed this, <clears throat> not just dwell on the conversation in the car too much, but did you notice that the sun was almost coming up behind them? No, it didn't. <laughs> It was definitely lighter at the horizon, quite substantially, than than the, the sky. And I was like, oh, and I hadn't actually thought how long this eternal night goes on for, whether it's just like two weeks or something. No, it goes on for months, doesn't it? Isn't it like nearly half the year? Well, maybe that's when the sun just doesn't come up, but kind of like flirts with coming yeah. up. Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. Was, it, was, it was interesting that they, I felt like they were having more insight on each other with that tiny bit of light. It just felt like a really nice like mirroring of yeah more, more info about each other. They were talking about higher things, higher beings, and there was this tiny, lovely bit of light in the horizon. Yeah, well, before we get to Kevin's hunting shed, uh, there is a scene with Pete and Hank, um, and he's Hank has turned up to the ice rink with these ice skates for Darwin. It feels like it might have been his idea of an apology for, for hitting Pete in the episode before. But he's also then trying to dig into what Danvers is doing. So he's trying to get some information out of his son. And then Pete asks Hank what happens between Liz and Ange. And it feels like Pete doesn't necessarily fully believe Liz's story. Just as he's about to start talking about what happened, Danvers and Ange show up. Danvers and Navarro arrive. And they're pissed with Hank because he was the one that Snippy Sue had spoken to previously about Clark and nothing had been followed up about it. Classic Hank. Yeah. And this is where we get the brilliant Mrs. Robinson stuff. So Hank calls uh, Danvers Mrs. Robinson. That's after he's gone. He's just like, bless him. Bless him and his young self. He might be able to crack a phone, but he doesn't know his classic movies. Well, yeah. I mean, I just thought maybe our our tech-savvy Pete might Google that later. (laughs) It was this point that there was a bit of foreboding for me. I, I fear for Pete. I think he's just too sweet for this world. Also, I mean, I know that you've probably talked about the corpsicle on previous pods, but if you are staring at a slowly defrosting pile of naked, dead, petrified men, <laughs> gonna make you feel a bit weird. I would describe them as scientists. Well, Neil, they need to be taking more vitamin D. That's all I got to say. The, the key points, I think, are frozen, naked, and terrified. Like their profession doesn't really matter. Yes, okay, they're scientists. Pete will be forever changed, I think, by this experience. So, the hunting shed, I spotted the hunting shed at the end of the credits, opening credits. And I was like, is that new? Because I don't think I've seen it before. 
And uh, is there something at the end of each credit sequence that is different? Don't know. I'll have to go back and watch. But yeah, that 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 hunting shed that Kavik is in is mm. definitely referenced right at the end of the credits, certainly of this episode. And I just love it. I love that there's just a hole in the ice and they've built the shed around it. And yeah, makes perfect sense. And I didn't quite understand about the homebrew stuff. Something that he fishes for is what he uses to make the homebrew. Don't think so. I don't I don't think I think that she was just saying, look, anyone who's got homebrew has got a network right. of people who whisper of yeah. people who are yeah. underground, you know. Anyone who sells homebrew here is gonna know things that we're not gonna know. I think that was all it was. I don't think he's, you know, using Codro in his IPA. <laughs> I think he eats those fish. I think that's how he lives. Yeah, possibly. Anyway, there's a couple of interesting bits that come out of this conversation. We've already kind of referenced the finding out more about Navarro's mum. But he says Alaska girls always come back. And I wonder, again, whether that's something with Annie, maybe, that she went away somewhere, got her tattoo, and then came back. And then the other thing was that Annie's Annie was never told her Inupiaq name. You know, her mother never revealed that to her. And again, that, that kind of comes up later when they meet Oliver TikTok. Yeah, this is a massive big thread for An- um, Ange through this episode it, starting with the from the birthing centre through through to this moment and then through to the end is is definitely her connection to her past her mother her heritage and the the kind of the breaks in those chains basically and how they never you just would never leave you as a person would they I love their relationship Ange and Kavik I just think it's brilliant all yeah. business yeah <laughs> Uh, Grace on a Friday night. So, Liz... <laughs> Damo would be so proud. <laughs> we then get we get a little reminder that Leah is a character that exists in the show, uh, Danvers' adopted sort of daughter. So her and her girlfriend have gone to this anti-mine rally, essentially. She gets recognised as being Liz's daughter, but it's fine. And we learn that a baby passed this morning, uh, and a, another stillborn, they say. And again, that kind of made me think of Annie and the fact that she was a midwife. And I feel like that's when we saw the the doulas from that first scene of this episode. Yeah, yeah, they were back. All of them on the protest were shouting, we will get war. They're wanting to close the mines. I thought it was we were here before. Maybe I was wrong. Oh, I'm going to have to listen back because I I wrote down we will get war. You may be right, Grace. I'm I'm with Adam on this. I'm pretty sure it was we were here before. Yeah. Which is a very powerful message. Mm. Yeah, and the kind of idea of them sort of discovering stuff in the ice, right? Something we've talked about previously. Yeah. About what was there before? And and that's what the scientists were looking for, right? Was these these microbes that might help cure diseases. Anyway, we then cut to Liz listening to some white noise. Do you know any ideas on what she's listening to? Yeah, she's just listening to white noise to think. Okay, that's what just people cut- do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A white noise or, or um, the a sound of rain falling on outside. It, people listen to it when they're working in order to focus their mind. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> OK, fair enough. But the white noise has distracted her from cooking a chicken. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I love the chicken. I also love like all these low key references to Christmas throughout this. Series. <laughs> I love how like you know, this should be quite a kind of beautiful winter wonderland in the Arctic. You know, it should be quite magical. But actually, every time Christmas is there, it just feels like a massive inconvenience. 
so good. Later on, when Pete and uh, Kayla are having a row, right? This is the Christmas tree in the background. Yeah, it's so good. But yeah, this uh, th- there's a there's an argument, isn't there, between Danvers and her daughter? And I'm sorry, you're going to have to remind me because I is that is she Danvers' daughter by blood or do we no have... adoptive adopted? I thought so, but I wasn't sure because um, I know we get that information in episode one. I just couldn't remember. But yeah, Danvers basically flips out, doesn't she? She goes into her room and her daughter's got the Inupiaq marking yeah. on her chin and she flips out and makes her wash them off. And I was, I was really... Yeah, wipe that shit off your face. Oh, I was so disappointed in Danvers at this point. I know she's an anti-hero, so that's, you know, normal. Yeah, But, but, like, but I guess it, it's got a lot more meaning to it than like permanent marker on the skin. I, I guess a question for me, which I don't think I've had answered and maybe will get answered, is like, what is Danvers' issue with that? Yeah. like Yeah, it's definitely interesting, isn't it? We don't know what happened with Leah's father. And, you know, we, we think there was possibly some sort of road traffic accident just by their reaction to that mm. thing in the first episode. But there's a lot, a lot in that relationship that hasn't really been uncovered. I mean, this is going to be very vague and kind of obvious, but there's a past trauma connected with that religion or cultural identity. However, you know, you, you want to identify that. We, yeah. And I guess we'll find out. Yeah. The other thing we don't really know about is Holden, right? We believe is Liz's child, son. But uh, they both hear Twist and Shout. They both hear a distorted version of Twist and Shout. I only really knew this because of the subtitles. I could hear it in the scene with Navarro, but Danvers hears it as well. And then we cut to Ange and she also hears it. And then she sees this child running away and she chases after it, slips and then wakes up in a desert. And we see Holden in pyjamas with the word dreamer written on it. And then he says, tell my mummy and then whispers into her ear. Yeah, this was the slightly pushing the envelope uh, when it came to the soup. And I was like, whoa, whoa, team, whole fire. Well, what's mm. going on? So I'd be really interested to see whether they bring that back as a kind of visual like they, they can't they can't introduce it and not bring it back i also made the bunny the toy bunny with holden i mean they, they have to i mean it would be really sloppy storytelling if they didn't it's the one i polar polar bear isn't it but there's there's clearly a link between danvers and navarro they both hear the what's the words that clark says at the beginning of the first episode she's she's back or she's here or she's awake or something she's here i think She's awake. She's awake. So they both hear that at pretty much the same time. They both hear the twist and shout stuff at pretty much the same time. And I wonder, it feels like there is some sort of either shared trauma or something going on that links those two characters together in that way. Because Liz also, in the second episode, I think, feels Holden tapping her on the shoulder when she's in bed. So she's kind of being visited by Holden. And now it's interesting that Navarro is visited by Holden as well. And again, whether this is kind of a concussion dream thing that's totally in her head, or whether she was actually supernaturally transported to a completely different landscape. (laughs) I don't think it's a sci-fi is literally being transported. I do think it's in her head, but it doesn't mean it's not supernatural. It doesn't mean that it's not delving into the depths of the subconscious or, you know, etc., I don't think physically she was, but certainly mentally she was. And 
there can be a lot of reality in the subconscious. 100%. So we also get a reminder that Julia exists as a character. Mm -hmm. We learn from Kenny Hogan that she was screaming that someone was coming. Then she was praying. And then she ran out of the bar restaurant that she works at with Kavik. And then we later find her, well, Navarro finds her in the hull of a boat. And she reveals that she thinks stuff, bad stuff. Mm. She also identifies the sea. She can see the sea. And obviously at the moment, in our present day, the sea is mostly frozen over. So I don't know whether whether seeing the sea when for large periods of the year it's frozen over is a positive thing. Things are warming up in some way or something that people hope for. But yeah, I, I did think that was very notable that she referenced that she could actually see the sea. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that characters like Leah and Jules are going to play a a part in the, the story, you know, a bigger part in the story. They're not just background characters. Something's going to come from this. And I do, it, again, it worries me a little bit that they're both sort of young females. And you know, given what we know about the sort of Tuttles and Annie and all of that sort of stuff, I feel like they're going to be in danger at some point, at least one of them, if not both. Yeah. I mean, Julia's ripe for a walkout and a not return, isn't she? Yeah. Although maybe Navarro also, perhaps we'll come come to that in a second. Pete gets home, wakes up Kayla and Darwin. I paused it because I was looking at what Darwin had in his room to see if there were any polar bears or anything. But I noted <laughs> it was half past three in the morning and Kayla has an exam at seven. She basically, they have a little bit of a row. She says, you run every time Danvers calls. <laughs> Danvers calls, of course. And but also the- she says, she says, you're not a cop. You're a sweet idiot who makes me laugh. And Pete says, maybe I don't want to be a sweet idiot. Do you think he's a sweet idiot? I think he's sweet. I don't think he's an idiot at all. I think he's actually quite bright. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, I agree. I didn't pause to see what she wrote in her text, Danvers, but it was all written in capital letters, which is just (laughs) the most, like, aggressive, like, when you're working, if your boss texts you capital letters, it's like, just, just make a different choice. (laughs) (laughs) i know the second part the second text was did you find oliver yeah i think the first one was just are you fucking kidding me or something you why why aren't you picking up the phone (laughs) grace grace did did adam ever text you with capital letters no no i just got the passive aggressive thumbs up emoji (laughs) there's nothing passive aggressive about the thumbs up i was just quoting happy valley randomly We then go into the next day, right? December the 23rd. So that all of that has been in one day. We're into the sixth day of night. We see a nice little montage moments, but Liz goes to see the family who had the stillborn child. I think Leah has accused... Mm, no, Adam, we lost you. You look like a terrified caribou. <laughs> <laughs> Have I lost you, Neil? No, you're just being still. No, no. I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting. <laughs> Nearly bored, but not quite. Nearly bored, not quite. <laughs> nearly boring you. Not you, Adam. Oh, right. This this frozen. Oh, here we go. Oh, you're the host now, Grace. Oh, my God. How the power. I was, the host. I was. And we're still recording, Neil. I logged in before you. How come you've become host? It's the spirit world. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Adam's the host again now. But is he... I'm here, yes. What did I miss? 
Uh, we didn't get anything of what you said. So I had been talking about, I've been talking about the fact we were in December the 23rd. Everything we just spoke about all happened in one day. And uh, Liz goes to see the family who had the stillborn. Uh, I think in the argument with Leah, Leah says, you just don't care. And again, I think we get another little hint here that Liz does have some feelings. But then she goes to wash her hands and the water comes out black. And that's the big complaint, right, from the anti-mind people. Mm. And that's what they're saying is the reason for all the stillborn children. Then we meet Pete's cousin, Vince. He was my favourite cameo of the episode. The local (laughs) vet, Vince. Vince the vet. Vince the vet deals with large animals on a daily basis. I mean, he, yeah, he's probably all seals and walruses, right? Is that is that what they And polar bears, maybe. Definitely. He might have had to have... A are they pets? Bit. I think vets generally deal with pets. I think they deal with all sorts of animals, don't they? Yeah, animal doctor. I think they're more maintained animals when it comes to vets. Like, when when's the last time you've seen a tiger walk into a vet and say, my paw hurts? Or an elephant that kind of strolls up to a vet and says, my trunk is swollen. It's maintained animals, whether they be farm or pets or domestic animals. They're the ones that the vets deal with. What are you going to do if you find a polar bear that's clearly in pain? Who are you going to call? You're not going to be the (laughs) ghostbusters. You call a vet. Come Come and check it out. Vets aren't tied to their desk. Flying doctors and all that. Flying vets. I reckon Vince the vet gets out a bit and deals with all sorts of animals. <laughs> anyway, he says they died before they froze, possibly cardiac arrests, and he gives this description of a caribou that died of fright and how it's similar. So we feel like these guys potentially were so terrified of something that they ran out and they actually had a cardiac arrest. And then, and then sunk out. into the ice. Yeah, yeah. And then Ange arrives and she's found Oliver via the Mukluk Telegraph, which isn't for white boys. <laughs> Basically, they um, they go out and find Ollie TikTok. We see some native women working on nets, very similarly to the way that Annie did, right? They're sort of licking mm. the with their tongues. And he's not answering the door, but they can hear the generators on. And there's a weird moment where Liz pretends like she heard something like come in. And she's just like going, oh, yeah, all oh, right, okay, then. And then forces the door open. But I don't even think she's Jimmy the door. I think she's just turned the handle and gone in the door, right? It was a bizarre moment. It was kind of mm. out of character. It was kind of, I don't know what she was doing or what she was thinking. She's not very playful, Liz. Though we did have puddles, so maybe she is. But yeah, she yeah. basically says something to throw him off, maybe. And then she bar- she shoulder barges the door. So it's like, oh. what was the point anyway? Yeah, and they go in and he's sat there with a shotgun, isn't he? And he, I didn't write the line down. I hope someone else did about taking one more foot into the my land or whatever it was unless you have an order i'll blow your brains out yeah he doesn't really give us much information i wasn't really sure about the whole reason behind ollie tiktok he basically he he asks Ange what her name is like what her inupiaq name is so we get a little call back to that moment they tell him about the scientists he didn't know about it i think he says lund is dead or something but he basically chases them out after after hearing all of that stuff. Yeah, I wonder if we'll meet him again because he clearly has more information. Yeah, I'm sure we, we will. Must, we must do. You know, that was only just like an intro, really. And they and got a speak- call from the hospital, which is where they immediately go to. Speaking of Lund, he's uh, he's awake. 
Can I just say, I loved it as well. This is a tiny bit when they put the sirens and the lights on and there is literally no one in their way. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, should we do the sirens? But the, but the, well, the, how the, often do they get to do that? I mean, come on, that must be one of the perks of being a police officer or an emergency vehicle is putting on the sirens. All I wanted was Ange to lean across the dam and go, put the Ninor on. <laughs> <laughs> But they also do have to like ward off any uh, one-eyed polar bears that might be in the way. Sure, fine. <laughs> in case they or tigers to... with swollen paws. In case they happen to be strolling past at that moment, it just really made it was just for the drama. But I was here for it. But let's get back to the thing I really don't want to talk about, which is lunch. <laughs> he is, yeah, he's not. I mean, we're warned before we get in the room and see him. But yeah, he's lost both his legs. I think he's had an arm amputated. He's not. Yeah. He not in a good way, basically, as he's uh, defrosted and coming out of his coma. He says, we woke her and now she's out, out there on the ice. She came for us in the dark. Oh, I've got chills. Who do we think she is? It's such a good question, because I was hoping we might get a bit more info on that mm-hmm. episode, but we haven't. We've only got just more that she is awake, out there, arguably quite terrifying has maybe unlocked something with the spirit world. I don't want to get too stranger things here, but it's a possibility. Could it be Annie? Could it be some kind of god-type creature? Or could it be Winona Ryder? <laughs> I would love that so much. <laughs> and then we, we, we then get the hillbilly payoff because they are kicking off. There was an accident on the police search. They're kicking off. Liz gets called out to deal with it. Uh, Navarro kind of peeks her head around the, the corridor and then we see Lund sitting all of a sudden, quite alert, sitting up behind her. This was brilliant. Brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. It was the silent sort of bolt upright. And I just, I screamed. I, it was so brilliant. Am I? Have I written this right? He says, your mother says hello, she's waiting for you. And then he convulses and dies. Yeah, I mean, before that, he says, hello, Evangeline. So he calls her by her full name. Yeah. Probably no no way that he could have known what her name was, right? And yeah, then, then he flatlines, basically. And we found out early in the episode that Navarro's mother went out into the ice and then got killed. Mm. Yeah, this is what made me. What makes me think that potentially the line that Ange says of "Do you ever just want to disappear?" Her mother walked out into the ice and never came back, or, or disappeared. And then this whole "she's waiting for you" thing. I think we are being led towards this thing of Ange potentially at some point towards the end walking out. May, and maybe it's Liz who brings her back. I don't know. Yeah. Oh God. Obviously, these scientists are in the ice. And the the sign is older than the ice. And we have lots of people who've gone out into the ice and never come back. So it, it has to come back to the ice in some way, right? Yeah, almost certainly. <laughs> but it certainly, almost certainly is also linked with Navarro's mum. I mean, that's really clear from what Lund says. Mm-hmm. Your mother says hello, she's waiting for you. I don't think there's going to be... I think we're going to get payoff on... I hope we're going to get payoff on all these things. But there's so many different threads that have been set up over the first three episodes. Yeah. This is the halfway point, right? 
final thing that happens in the episode is that they've cracked Annie's phone and uh, we get this little video of her. She's done a little selfie video of her in some ice somewhere. And she says, I found it. It's here. My name is Annie Kotok. If anything happens to me and then screaming and she's being, the phone goes all over the place. We suspect she dies. That's the what, what what's being fed to us, whether that's true or not. Yeah, I mean, it was very Blair Witch Project, wasn't it? Yeah. That, that, yeah. that footage. But she, we know she dies. We know she was stabbed like 30 times, right? And her tongue was cut out. So that's, we know. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. We think yeah. that's how she died. So something, something physical has had to do that to her. Yeah, right? to her physical body, but spiritually, could she still be alive mm-hmm. with Navarro's mum? I mean, I'm wondering whether it is some sort of, yeah, a, a weird sort of possession thing going on that she's found something in the ice that has then come for the scientists later on, has used her body, and that's that's why it's had to have been, she's her body's had to have been stabbed 32 times and her tongue cut out because she's been possessed by whatever it was. And then the thing that's awake isn't Annie, isn't really Annie, it's the thing that possessed Annie previously. If this all turns out to be hypothermia, I'm going to be really annoyed. (laughs) They might all wake up in the shower. (laughs) Yeah, or it could could easily be some dark scientists who are in league with the Tuttles and what Annie's found is some evidence or something and that she is being attacked by half a dozen scientists. Yeah, totally. That's what I that's what I mean. Like if it's stabbing and that's got it feels like it's got to be like a, another person that does that. Yeah. Lots of questions. Any of them the right ones? Are they the right questions? That's well, I've got one question for you, which is definitely the right question. And that question is how many questions from last week did we get <laughs> in this episode? So just a reminder, Neil said you you said we were gonna get two questions answered. Damo said three. I went for one and Grace via the WhatsApp went for two and a half. I think the only question of our six questions we asked last week that was actually answered was, what is the Wheeler thing? Mm. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's a lot of outstanding questions there. That means one, only one question was answered, which means a point for me, I believe. Right, okay. <laughs> the other questions we had was, where is Clark? Not answered. Will we hear Tuttle mentioned again? We didn't. Will we get more of the catfishing? We didn't. How did the scientists end up on ice? We still don't know. And who killed Annie? We still don't know. Oh, God. So now the right question is, are there any new questions we want answering? I have some. Well, she's awake. Who is she? She's the mum. She's Navarro's mum, surely. We don't know that. Hasn't that been answered? Again, I think it's quite a vague... That question will only be answered if we find Clark. Okay. But, well, you know. Lund, Lund says she's awake and then says your mother says hello, she's waiting for you. No, the two separate covers, two separate things that Lund says. He, he speaks twice. So he says, we woke her and now she's out, out there on the ice. She came for us in the dark. And then later, after um, he sits up, he says, hello, Evangeline, your mother says hello, she's waiting for you. So the, the she's awake thing is separate from the Navarro's mum thing. I think that's up for grabs. But I think you're right. It's a bit vague. So I'm happy to to park that for now. We we could definitely go for who is who is Lund talking about? Because I think that's the same question. 
Yeah, who is Len yeah. talking yeah. about when he says that she chased them? That yeah. that's she specifically. Okay. And is that the same as your mother says hello? She's waiting for you. But I'm answering that question now. <laughs> I'm saying it is. I'm also answering that question. Right I'm now. I'm moving on. I also would really like, and I don't know how to phrase this question, but I would like to know why Pete doesn't stand up to Danvers. Like I want to, I want to know, like what? It's just it's frustrating for me that he doesn't stand up to her. And is it just because she's his boss or is there more to Oh, her? Danvers. Sorry, I think meant Hank. How does Pete feel about Liz? Is that too vague a question? He is, I'm happy with that. Just a bit if of it. Is a, if he is a sweet idiot, he wouldn't stand up to his boss. Okay, fine. Well, I've got one more question and it's very clear. Has Fiona Shaw finished a spliff yet? Oh, I don't <laughs> think so. We'll never know. No, she must have done, right? Because we haven't seen her for a whole day. That specific split, maybe. Yes. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to get the answer to that one. Here are my questions we might get the answer to. Yeah. What did Holden whisper to Ange? Yeah. What did Annie find? And who killed Wheeler? Mm, I approve those, those questions. They can go on the approved questions list. Okay. So I think we've got those those three and your who is London talking about. I think we still need where is Clark, don't we? Mm-hmm. We still need who killed Annie, and we still need how did the scientists end up on the ice. I make that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions. I know we're going on, but I do think we know the answer as to why the scientists ended up on the ice. They were chased. We know that, right? That's what Luke says, but all right, leave it in there. I think that's still unanswered fully. All right, all right. I think because it's the fourth episode out of six i'm gonna go with a whopping four questions being answered really four of seven four oh there's only seven three yeah three from me what do you think now i'm gonna go for two i think they'll save most of the reveals for either the penultimate or the last episode well i'm gonna stick with my point point scoring score one. (laughs) i'm gonna go with only one question answered in the next episode and we'll find out what Damien thinks via the WhatsApp once he's listened to this episode. Um, but yeah, thank you so much both. It's been lovely to have you back, Grace. Oh, it's been so mm. fun to speak out on this. I can't wait for the next episode. Me either. Uh, if you want to let us know what you think about our theories or whether any of these questions will be answered, you can contact us on the social media at TVDNAPod or you can email TVDNAPod at gmail.com. We're going to be back with another watch list and Hooniversity Orange episode. This time, we are looking at the Christopher Eccleston episodes of The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. So if you want to watch along to our Hooniversity Challenge, then those are the episodes to watch. But yeah, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, did you have a line that you wanted to use to finish on? I think I used all of mine. Mm, let me have a look. She's alive! Yeah, I've only got... Do, do the fucking math. I've got nothing. Red, we'll leave it there oh, then. Fun. Thank you. I really needed to talk to someone